Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett. And I'm Brian Colbert Kennedy. This is the podcast where we dive into a specific topic or question affecting everyone on the planet right now or in the next 10 years or so. If it can kill us or uh, turn us into the wormhole from DS9, we're in. Our guests are scientists, doctors, engineers, politicians, astronauts, even a reverend. Um, and we work together toward action steps that our listeners can take with their voice, their vote, and their dollar. This is your friendly reminder that you can send questions, thoughts, uh, really anything, hand-drawn artwork, uh, feedback to us at Twitter at importantnotimp, or you can email us at funtalk at importantnotimportant.com. Uh, I got a note from a guy the other day who said, in response to the news item that We've built too many airports. We got to stop expanding airports because that means more plane flights, which means more emissions. Right. Uh, and I believe the email said, you obviously don't own an airplane or need to find a place to park yours. You don't know what you're talking about. Whoa. And it's like, oh man, I don't think you're getting, I feel like we're Holy on, a different, cow. on a different page here. Anyways. Yes. We um, obviously don't own an airplane. Who the, f- that's insane. Yeah. On that note, you can join thousands of other smart people and subscribe to our free weekly newsletter. Comes at you Fridays at importantnotimportant.com. All the news you missed in about five minutes or less. Uh, this week's episode, we are talking about incentivizing those dirty capitalists uh, <laughs> to fucking solve climate change for us in the most positive and money-making way possible by sucking carbon right out of the air. Right out. You want to tell him about our guest today, Brian? Uh, yeah, he's uh, his name is Henry Elkis. Pretty great guy. He's super young. He's very optimistic, and he's action-oriented, and that is uh, refreshing for a millennial. Yeah, wait. Well, I mean, millennials are very... Wait, for uh, a really young millennial. Action-oriented and all that stuff. It's just... Yeah, the optimism is what's strange. Yeah. No, and I'm great. <laughs> We're optimism here. We're not doom and gloom. We are action oriented. Uh, things are in a hard way, but there's also a lot of good shit going on. And uh, that's what we're here talking about uh, every week. If you want to hear us talk about absolutely nothing and change a topic every 10 seconds, yeah. uh, you can check out Fun Talk. It drops on Fridays. As as our production people said, we go until Brian gets tired. So <laughs> They said um, that? Yep. Which is... Sounds about right. Uh, anyways, uh, this is a really good one. I so, really yeah, enjoyed super good. it. And uh, I think it'll fill in the blanks a little bit on where we've come with uh, carbon capture and how to expand it, make a difference. Uh, let's go talk to, Henry. talk to Henry. Okay. Our guest today is Henry Elkis. And together we're going to talk about making carbon capture suck more, uh, but this time with carrots. And we will get to what the fuck that actually <laughs> means. Henry, welcome. Thank you guys for having me. It's wonderful, wonderful to be here. <laughs> we'll see. We are, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you spoke too soon, maybe. No, we're, we're very happy. Thank you for being here. Uh, let's get it going just by, uh, Henry, just uh, let everybody know, you know who you are and what you do. Sure. So my name is Henry Elkis. I'm founder and CEO of a unique organization called Helena. We do something very simple, uh, but I, I guess quite ambitious. We do individual one-by-one projects, and each project is aimed at trying to actually address operationally a societal problem. So the first project we did was obviously in the field of carbon capture. We helped uh, scale and launch the world's first commercial carbon capture company, Climeworks. But we've actually worked in a bunch of other sectors as well. Um, I know this podcast talks a lot about uh, things that could end the world. Another project we did, for example, passing a bunch of legislation to protect the electrical grid from going down. Oh, that's helpful. Uh, whether that's a cyber attack from a foreign adversary or a solar storm or extreme weather. So we're doing that. We work in the medical space. 
What makes us different is that each project is completely custom made to identify and address a societal problem. And I think what separates us as well is the way we do the projects. I think that might be interesting. All of the capital, all of the resources we utilize. So the way that we come up with the ideas for these projects, the way that we pay for them, the way that we operationalize them doesn't come from me. It comes from a group of people called Helena members that we've recruited. And there's about 100, 150 of them all around the world. We have a full-time staff that works with them just to do these projects. So the members sign up to use their abilities to do the projects and they're quite diverse. So one of them is a Nobel Peace Prize winner. One of them is a Republican hedge fund manager. We have people on both sides of the political aisle and they're all united by this idea that they're going to work together to actually address problems in a no, in a no bullshit way and, and, and put, put forth their resources in an operational manner to actually get it done. So that's, that massively separates us, I believe, from every other organization that, uh, you know, we, we, we were inspired by, but want to innovate upon. Interesting. Uh, I'm into it. I mean, we are very much at this, at this point with a lot of, and again, we are not just climate change. Um, that is uh, probably 40%, which is still a pretty good chunk, but, uh, with, with items like that, uh, like you said, people on both sides of the aisle, we are very much of the mind of honestly, whatever gets it done at this point, I don't really give a shit, you know, what the other nine things are that we're going to battle about as long as we can get this one thing done. Yeah. Agreed. And I th- I th- the other thing is there's this, there's this fascination in society today where people wake up in the morning and they say, I, you know, I'm going to go into politics. And I'm going to use that as a way to change the world, or I'm going to go into the nonprofit sector. I'm, and I find that weird. You know, imagine you wake up in the morning and you say, I'm going to define my life by working inside of a 501c3 foundation mm-hmm. that is different from everything else just because it takes tax deductible money. I think that we should flip it. We should do the inverse, which is we should say, we need to find the most effective and moral way to solve the world's problems and then do that. And if that means um, doing a for-profit business, means going to the private sector, means running for office, we should do all of it. And we shouldn't segregate uh, what we do based upon the structure. I think it's a weird fascination that we've had that I think is antiquated. Yeah, I mean, uh, there are some in, in extremely effective uh, versions of that, that that do work. There are some that are yep. that are not, sadly. There are some uh, big names uh, that I don't think people realize are horribly ineffective. Um, you know, et cetera, et cetera, versions of that. But, but I, I'm interested in this idea of, of looking at the problem first. We, we've talked, uh, I don't remember, we have this sort of alternate, uh, podcast universe where we, that we push out on Fridays, which is just Brian and I talking about whatever the fuck we want to talk about. For some reason, some people prefer that to the world changing ones, which (laughs) drives me a little bit crazy, but we vent about things. and, And one of the things I've always been interested in is this idea of, similarly flipping college majors on its head to, oh, yeah, yeah. to, to saying like, okay, you are majoring in the ocean, uh, or, you know, or you're majoring in again, climate change and, and what that means from a cross disciplinary point of view, because we need to come at it, uh, like we're political science as a major is, is effectively at this point useless, but political science underneath a climate change major is really compelling because exactly. you're going to be talking with, oceanographers and atmospheric scientists and, and, and things like that. And, uh, and, and that's where you hope that the, the road makes the dollar a little bit. Anyway, well, one of the things that's that, I mean, just to add a yeah, note on this, yeah. there are these fascinating examples of people accidentally solving problems uh, without trying to, or without at least trying to as the primary purpose. One of my favorite examples is the movie blood diamond. 
you know, this is Hollywood coming together with a compelling story to do a for-profit movie. But it raised, it raised awareness on this critical issue of the West African diamond trade. And, you know, the, 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 you know, this was a Leo DiCaprio movie where the goal is to make as much money as possible. And obviously, right. they, they, they had a moral bend to telling the story. Um, but there, there, there are these many examples where uh, people kind of stumble in. You talked about, I think, on a prior, a prior podcast, falling up the stairs or fall, failing forward, mm-hmm. where, um, where, where, where there's change that's done in the world that's not intentional. And, mm-hmm. and it shows that fields fields overlap and, and fields themselves are a social construction. <laughs> so I, I endorse that idea of, of, of having college majors that are different. Um, I, I think that there are these kind of horizontal functions that people should focus on rather than the vertical ones. Well, and that's the old Bell Labs model, right? Was you yeah, put yeah. all these people down the hall from each other, they run into each other. I, I, people, I mean, it's probably over-exaggerated, but I mean, you look at their track record and you uh, the, the building that um, Steve Jobs built for Pixar uh, yep. when he was still running it and, and how everybody has to go to the bathroom and in in basically in the same direction and yep. oh, there's one cafeteria and, and the ideas that come out of that and you're like, yeah, they've done a pretty fucking good job. So anyways... <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, it's, pretty good. It, it's it's shocking. I mean, the term university, the Latin root, you know, universal, holistic, that you right. put minds together. And what's so funny is that universities are now some of the most siloed institutions in the world where you have people say, oh, well, that's not in my field, so I'm not going to work on it. But didn't you signed up to solve a problem in the world? You signed up to contribute to human knowledge, not to reach tenure, hopefully. Um, and so, <laughs> so, so it's so funny. Even the institutions that were built to solve this problem are now uh, unfortunately, standard bearers of of the problem in the first place. In some cases, in some cases, they're not. But it's 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 sad. Yep. All yeah. right. Well, I'm excited to uh, dig into all that. Yes. Yes. Very much. And then, as I know, we mentioned it, but uh, as a reminder to everyone listening, also, uh, what we're doing here, we're going to set up some context. Uh, Quinn's going to set up some context for uh, our, our our question or our topic. At it's hand usually here pretty ill informed, <laughs> and and really entertaining. Uh, <laughs> it's like a Wikipedia we'll, um... <laughs> if nobody edited it. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 Uh, and then we'll get into some uh, some action oriented questions uh, that get to the heart of of uh, why you're here and why we're all here and why we should care about uh, what you're doing. Sound good? Let's do it, uh, Henry. We like to start with uh, one important question to set the tone. Uh, I will note, and I mentioned this to my wife this morning. We don't talk to a lot of white dudes anymore, uh, just uh-huh. because twentieth um, century I think proved itself out. Like we had our shot, and things didn't go well. <laughs> um, and also, we're white guys, so that's that's enough. I- I, I plead guilty to being a white guy. Yeah, exactly. Look, man, oh, born with it, but, we, you know, got to expand the voice a little bit. Anyways, uh, so this had better be good. Um, but anyways, <laughs> wow. In, instead, of, uh, <laughs> instead of saying, tell us your life story, Henry, we like to ask, Henry, why are you vital to the survival of the species? <laughs> oh, man. Super um, normal question. Hopefully I'm not. Mm-hmm. Hopefully standard, I'm not. Standard speed uh, dating question. I hope I'm not vital to the species. Species. Otherwise, uh, we're not in good shape. Um, right. <laughs> I'll take a stab at it. I, I, I plead ignorance. Um, instead of saying that I know the solution, I think that I'm smart enough to know that no individual knows the solution to a given problem. And instead, what I do is I find the people that have spent their lives uh, searching for the solution and I bring them together. You know, I care about one thing, which is using those assets, using you know, bringing people together to actually execute a project and get it done. And I just don't care whether it's through government or business or outside of that realm. So hopefully I'm not uh, the individual that is vital to the species. Hopefully I'm the gateway drug <laughs> to the other people that are, that are vital to the species. And then I'm a connecting agent. I'm an operationalizer. I think the world needs more of that. There's, there's this fascination in history of you know, this thing called the great man theory, 
which is a sexist in of itself in the name, but there are these individuals, the Churchills and the Alexander the Greats that have solved the world's problems or that were vital. And I think there might be some cases where people have been vital, but those are the exceptions to the rule, not the rule. And I think that there needs to be, um, there need to be more Avengers, groups of people that solve problems and people mm-hmm. that facilitate that, than there need to be the great, the great individuals of history. And I, I hope I'm one of those people. I, I, I hope I'm a facilitative agent, but I hope more importantly than that, that I, I can champion and spread the idea of it being okay that you enter a scary problem like climate change, not knowing the solution, but being committed to identifying the people that are trying their damnedest to do it and then bring them together. And, uh, you know, so if I am vital to the species, it's because of that, not because I'm some oracle that knows the answer or that I have some sort of power that is disproportional or asymmetrical that I get to exert. Um, I like the democracy of what we do to bring people together and utilize their resources collectively. I think that's something beautiful about the 21st century and the interconnectivity of the world that we have to not, not to be too floofy and philosophical, but I, I truly believe that. Yeah. And it can definitely go wrong. There's no, the oh, uh, yeah. 21st century networking, but uh, yeah, facilitators are helpful because there's so often where you, you look around and go, boy, I, or at least that's, that's how I try to look at things as well as look at it and say, boy, wouldn't it be awesome just to see what these two people could do together? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, awesome. All right. Well, I think that's very good, very humble, but but uh, but it's got Thank some you, back, backbone to it. We'll take it. Yeah, you, we will. You have passed. Yeah. Check. All right. <laughs> uh, let's move on to some poorly, hastily thrown together context about this. And sometimes this is yeah, yeah. super wonky. And uh, so, for instance, this is how cholera works, uh, or uh, or a space engine. And sometimes it's more uh, morality based. Anyways. Uh, today, we're going to talk a little bit about carbon capture, but we're really looking at it from sort of the business and incentive point of view. But um, yep. we, we've covered carbon capture a couple times on the show. In, uh, in episode 11, we talk with uh, the absolute legend, uh, David Hawkins of the NRDC, about his efforts oh, yeah. later in his reign to get carbon capture to uh, really the, th- the three tenants where, it, where it's where it's lacking like any new technology is, which is efficient, scalable, and affordable. Um, yep. And in episode 15, we talked with uh, really one of the best climate and clean energy reporters out there, uh, Akshat Rathi of Quartz, who, who I can't recommend enough for, for following and talking to. He's, he's, he's so connected and fantastic. You would, you would love this guy. But this is episode 74. It's been about a year, so it's time to revisit a little bit. And, and that's for a number of reasons. One is uh, the sort of different angle you're taking with it, um, but also there's a few groups, uh, quite a few groups going at this now. And, and two of the more prominent names uh, people probably hear about if you're super nerds and pay attention to, to news or, or the show is uh, there's a group called Carbon Engineering and there's a group called Climeworks, who I believe you're <laughs> familiar with. Um, <laughs> So, uh, I heard they're pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool guys. <laughs> uh, so, again, this is the we try to dial it down to what is the level that people can understand while they're texting and driving at the same time. Uh, yep. So, without getting too wonky, people can visit those episodes. We were just, if you're going to listen to those episodes, people, we were, we were babies. They were very early. Be gentle. <laughs> Anyways, super simple. Two versions of, of getting carbon out of the air uh, or of carbon capture. One is s- grabbing the shit we've already put out in the air and snatching carbon as it leaves. Uh, a dirty facility. Yep. And then there's a question uh, again, like anything else uh, of what the hell do we do with it after we got it? And there's a bunch of different answers. And the fact that we haven't really settled on one or a couple that are again, efficient, safe, uh, renewable, uh, scalable, uh, affordable uh, is part of what's going on here. So do we turn it into fuel? Do we stuff it into the ground? Do we turn it into rocks? Good news is we've proved we can do it, 
but it's nowhere near scalable for what we need to do, which is to save the world. Um, that doesn't mean we won't get there. I mean, it's apples to oranges, but if you look at how much, you know, three years ago, everybody said, you know, batteries are never going to be affordable for, for when the sun's not shining or the wind's not blowing and battery costs have come down something like 90% in two years. Um, yeah, crazy. again, it's different and, and battery has its own road, roadblock, certainly, but the potential is, is there. We just have to come at it from a bunch of different angles, which is kind of the point today. So the question today is current efforts around this, uh, uh around carbon itself are, are focused on punishing polluters, right? Yep. More regulation, a discussion of taxing slash imposing fees. And then of course, what do we do with that revenue? Carbon credit trading, the things that are working in California, the Northeast. But if we're really going to involve capitalists, we're going to need some business incentives. And that's what I meant by carrots earlier, right? We if we make money, right? People, people like money. They want to make money. And if this is really, and I, and, and I honestly believe it, it can be potentially the biggest if clean energy and, and carbon removal and all of this and, and retrofitting everything we have, rebuilding everything we have is the biggest market of all time, then we need to actually proactively think about how to set it up for success. People are greedy fucking monsters, but we do have to meet them where they are because they can get shit done. Because like you said, it can be nonprofit, it can be for-profit, it can be university, it can be government. I don't give a shit how it gets done, but if if this is how people are incentivized, then let's do it. So... Coming back to our topic of the week, which is making carbon capture suck more, but with carrots, <laughs> Henry, where do you specifically see an opportunity to affect this part of our goal to, sur- to survive the 21st century? How did you guys, uh, with, with your project list, how did you come to Climeworks and Carbon Capture? I think that's a perfect question. We noticed, and, and, and it's important to note, um, you, you talked about dumbing this down, and I use that on purpose, to, to folks that are texting and driving. I was one of those people. So when Helena started, I was not a, an expert in climate change whatsoever. And I think that was, a, that was a benefit in one way, which is when we started looking at this problem with the members who were the experts, this dichotomy hit us. And I think I want to talk about that first first, which is why are we in this problem in the first place? And the reason why, if you dumb it down into a binary, into, into just two, two main, main issues, we're putting too much carbon and methane into the atmosphere as a society too quickly. And everybody knows that. But even if society presses a button and stops excess CO2 from going into the air and other gases, there's so much of it still in the atmosphere that's stuck there, that unless we remove that at a truly significant scale, we're not going to affect change in this problem. We're not going to get close to the goals that we set in the Paris Climate Agreement or really anything that is intelligent, uh, that has been a prediction of what we need to do to, to reduce the global temperature uh, to a point at which society will not be affected in a, in a truly bad way. So when we were looking at both of these, uh, we noticed that there was a promise of the private sector being able to, like you said, produce revenue by sucking carbon out of the air and turning into products. And we looked at the set of companies that were thinking of doing that. And that's why we decided to go into that field. We said, we're not um, resourced are smart enough at the size we were at then to go into the first field of, of preventing carbon from going into the atmosphere. That, that, I think that was a job for intergovernmental organizations, for legislative bodies that had total top-down control. But entrepreneurship can solve the second problem. Entrepreneurship can create companies that can suck carbon out of the air and sell it. What if we could focus on that? So that was actually the impetus, was just looking at it from kind of the veil of ignorance <laughs> and, and, yeah. and, and and seeing that there was, there, there, was this, there was this entire world to focus on that hadn't been propagated. And you talked about this before. Three, two, three years ago, I mean, carbon capture is now being talked about 
on the stump by the presidential candidates. It's carbon capture and storage is not not a household name yet, but you know nerds are talking about it and people that are are are, are policy wonks are talking about it. And I, I believe in a couple of years it will be a household name. This was not something that was seen as a potential a massive solution even mm-hmm. two or three years ago. So mm-hmm. how time flies. And this is when we went into it. So so that's how we started just thinking about this in the first place before we did any work was just noticing this glaring deficiency in the work balance of of society and how entrepreneurship could address this problem. Well, we appreciate you doing that. And it does seem like it, it seems like one of those problems, if you are at all creatively incentivized in, in solving large scale problems, you hear about this one and go, wouldn't it be fucking great if this actually did work? Like, what do I have yes. to do to move that needle? Because, you know, like the news that came out this week when they, when they finally, those scientists did that huge map of where we need to plant all the trees and the trillion trees and how much of a difference it'll make. And, and of course, uh, you know, you can go back and forth on the, on the margin of error there, but that's all great. We've got a crackpot down in the Amazon who's cutting them all down for, for cows. So it's, it's not going to cut it and we have to move faster than that. Um, and a technology like this, you know, it, it just comes again. It's like, whatever works, like what do we have to do to, to both incentivize people to participate in this, to invest in this, to lend their their time to it. But, you know, I look at it as, I remember uh, a cousin of mine got sick with cancer, uh, it was like 15 years ago, or 10, yep. 12 years ago now. And I couldn't be farther from like a medical doctor, much less like an oncologist. But every bone in my body was going like, how do I help? How do I help? Yep. And I was yep. like, oh, I'm a former college athlete. I'll sweat. And so you sign up to raise money for... At the time, it was um, team in training, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And I raised like 30,000 bucks. And I was like, here's some, somebody else use this money to do the thing you need to do. Like, that's, that's what I can contribute. And, and, and I make a ridiculous, uh, you know, extension from that to, to, <laughs> to climate change, which is like, what, what can we do? You know, Start how, how can you run out? for climate change? Unclear. Okay, you definitely we'll can't run out. from it. That's, uh, it. that, <laughs> very, that's very true. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So I think we mentioned it, but it's been like a year since, since uh, we've discussed uh, carbon capture here on the, on the podcast. So let's uh, get up, uh, everyone up to, to speed on the technical side. Henry, from your perspective, can, can you just kind of go over you know, where we are now, uh, what, it, what advances have been made, what obstacles are, are uh, still to be overcome? I'll start with a basic number. There was this uh, report that came out of a a very lauded body called the American Physical Society a couple of years ago. And it said, um, it's quite pessimistic about carbon capture. It said that even at economies of scale, which is basically a fancy way of saying everybody in the world trying their hardest to do carbon capture at at at, um, at a huge scale, uh, that we would be um, it would be hard pressed, not impossible, but hard pressed to remove a single ton of carbon out of the air for a price under six hundred dollars. A single wow. metric ton for a price under $600. All right. And the very first test plant, not the first scaled plant, but the first test plant that um, Climeworks and other top companies in this space have put out have broken that theoretical limit. So when we talk about the, the growth curve that this, this technology is taking, even in the last couple of years, it has been massive. The magic number, though, is under $100 a metric ton. That's when you start getting to the point where this is competing with industries like the fossil fuel industry, where it okay. simply just makes more sense to invest in this type of technology, even if you're not thinking about impact at all and you just want to make money. And that's so, what happened to, to wind and solar, right? Exactly. Is exactly. All these were, corporations were, got on board because they're like, well, help, we're incentivized to profit and this is fucking yep. cheaper. 
Yes, it's cheaper, and 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 this is what we talk about. The there are there are these institutional structures like capitalism that if you can ride and 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 you can provide a better solution for, they do move quickly. Um, and we saw that with solar 15, 20 years ago. The questions were were, were out there: is is this going to be a solution that 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 the cost curve goes down on? And the answer was yes. Um, and now there are solar billionaires. And I think it sounds crazy today, but I think there will be carbon capture billionaires in the future. So part of our goal when we're thinking about this as Helen of the organization is how do we how do we sh- cut short that time? How can, because of our involvement and the people that we work with's involvement, make it, let's just say it'll be 15 or 20 years for that price to go down to a $10, uh, under $100 a ton. How can we shorten that? Um, and there's a lot of different ways, but that's our that's our chief concern is how can we kind of push this forward and then kind of get out of the way and 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 and, and let the, the tide of entrepreneurship work? I think the important thing to state, though, which is a, a dangerous thing, and I don't want to be pessimistic, is there's a uh, th- there's a great criticism of carbon capture that's actually uh, thematic. It's, it's it's social. It has nothing to do with the technology, which is people are fearful that what we're talking about will get people to be lazy, <laughs> that they'll say, right. okay, uh, w- w- these genius scientists are just going to figure this out. We don't have to continue polluting. And that's a problem. So there, there, what I don't want to state here on this on on this very lauded podcast is that we're we're Easy only uh, going Easy. to be able to we only need to rely on carbon capture we don't the best time the best uh, tag that i heard about this is there is no silver bullet for climate change right. but there is a silver buckshot and this is just one of the pellets of the buckshot mm. so we have to focus on this but we there's so many other things we have to do and we can't pretend that this is the knockout solution yeah, I mean, I feel like oh, sweet Jesus. I hope anyone who's listened to seventy four episodes of this podcast understands that it's buckshot, not bullet. Or otherwise, I'm, <laughs> I'm out. Like, if we haven't proven that point, it's like holy shit, man, Jesus. Uh, yeah, the- it's, it's hard to get that message into society. And I'll give you an example. And this is depressing. As you guys know, there's a ninety seven plus percent consensus among scientists that humans cause climate change, and there are theories of gravity that scientists uh, agree on less than this. Yet there's been successful messaging campaigns about wh- what about the three percent of scientists that don't that don't think this? You know, oh, there's not even a consensus among scientists. So right. there's a saying that, and you know, my mom used to tell me this: you need to you, you need to sit with something for multiple years for you to change your mind. Sometimes you need to hear something over and over and over again. And um, we have failed as a as as a community of people proponents of addressing this problem at some of the messaging components of just telling people the basic facts of look, ninety seven percent of scientists thinking that this is a problem means it's a problem. Uh, it's it, the three percent doesn't matter. It's, it, it means yeah. the problem. So, so we have more work to do um, on just telling the story of climate change, let alone the technologies. And and I think some people miss that. Yeah, and we we've worked hard. You know, we've had uh, a few folks from various uh, religious denominations on. Yep. Uh, just again, like if we disagree on nine out of ten things, the fact that uh, you know in, in the New Testament it tells you uh, to take care of the earth. Hey man, if that's if that's what it's going to take, <laughs> you know, in the action steps from that episode, we're like, uh, get the fuck out of the way, give us some money so we can go do right. our job and message <laughs> these people. And I'm like, great, whatever the thing is, because that the uh, as as I remember that guest mentioned, like a lot of times it's not even the message, it's the messenger that really yep. makes such a difference. And and we've got to do, we can't just shun these people and call them backwards. Find the people that do agree and do understand it and are already messaging that and empower them as much as you can. Because um, like you said, it is. there's been some real institutional failures on that front. And of course, there the have. difference between this and, and something else, like you said, it's about cutting the time in half because as much as it's a buckshot, like we desperately need this one to work. Right. We need that. We need that. We need that ammo. It's this is not like self-driving cars, which like would be cool and great. And and yes, we can go back and forth on it. And turns out it's going to take a lot longer. That's okay. That's okay. Um, This isn't going to cure everything. But in a world where 
you want to call it buckshot or, or the kitchen sinks, whatever, from, from stopping emissions entirely to planting a billion trees, it, it has to work. Well, let um, me give you some hope. Is it okay if I throw you guys some hope on this? Because I, 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 oh, I think sweet. there are examples of it. Yeah, please. Like, um, of course. Like some I, I, um, I'll, I'll shamelessly plug a TEDx talk I did on this, which is, nice. which is, well done. Which is um, about the fact that society is reactive and it's not proactive. However, we're really, really freaking good once there's a problem and we know it's a problem of getting our asses together and solving it. Um, look at the times in which there was this quote unquote enemy, especially in, in it from the American standpoint, the space race, right? People, a lot of people don't realize this. When, when Kennedy announced that in 10 years, in a decade, we we're going to land on the moon, uh, people were freaking out. They were like, this is not, this is not possible. Like th- there are all these technical barriers and, and humanity proved that it was able to come together to address a problem. The difference though, and this is what's scary about climate change is it's not a personified threat. A lot of people, you know, aren't experiencing the dangers of climate change in their everyday lives. But when there's a, a nuclear weapon, when there's an army, when it's the Americans fighting the British for independence, there's a personified threat. There's people you're fighting against. And because climate change is missing that, we're not we're not getting the kick in the ass as a society as much as we did in other cases to address the problem. So if there's a on the messaging side, I keep going back to the storytelling part of this. If people can see the personified threat of climate change um, and, and society comes together, it is remarkable how quickly we are able to address problems. And it would not be crazy to state that we could we could we could half the cost curve of, of carbon capture. We could pass carbon tax legislation or carbon dividend proposals um, in the next couple of years, stuff like the Green New Deal whether you like it or not, I think could be passed. There's legislation like that that could be passed if society gets around the personified threat of it. And there's precedent for us doing it, but we need a messaging solution. Sure. And I'm going to go down two tangents here on that note. The, the first is, I think you're you're totally right. And, and that same analogy and metaphor, whatever you want to call it, applies to healthcare and things like yep. that. If you don't have someone, if you don't know someone with a pre-existing condition, you're like, I don't know. Why is it so bad that we get rid of pre-existing right. conditions? Well, let's deal. go fuck yourself is the answer. Um, but <laughs> uh, on the second note, it's, it's that I do think it's coming to the forefront because uh, we're seeing a now we can, we can uh, quantitatively and qualitatively yep. value that these things are happening every week yep. somewhere. And we can see when a, 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 a typhoon that should not exist hits Mozambique, uh, and and people are suffering. You couldn't see that twenty years ago. We wouldn't have known. I mean, have about you guys it. heard about? Have you guys heard about Kiribati? Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, for for the viewers that are that, that haven't heard about this. You know, on the cover of Time magazine, I think it was the Cook Islands. But there are these small island nations in the Pacific that have these visionary leaders. One of them is named Note Tong. He was mm-hmm. the former prime minister of Kiribati. These countries are, if current trends persist, going to sink during the next couple of decades, if not right. sooner. And this will be the first case in which we lose countries because of rising sea levels, because of climate change. And I hope it doesn't get to the point where people have to sink and any countries have to sink and, and relocate for that to be the personified threat. Right. Um, but hopefully, if I mean, the best case scenario, uh, even if it does, that that is finally the kicker that we have as a society, past all of the things that are extreme weather, hurricanes that are occurring due to it, that are, that are measurable. Sure. And, and, you know, it is hitting close to home too. You know, it's like we almost lost New Orleans 15 years ago and this week, you know, might be the clincher. It's uh, with the the weather that's happening this week is when you apply that then to New York City and you apply that to the fact that, you know, uh, the San Francisco airport's basically going to be under two feet of water in 25 years. It's going to hit start take close to home real soon. Um, And you hopefully, you hope that that does start to kick it into gear uh, for, for more and more people. So 
there, there's one thing that does seem to unite people, which is which is rage, and <laughs> and I see that pointed now more and more often, both on the legal front and on the social front and on the on the investment front, which is with fossil fuel companies, and yeah. uh, a few of them have actually made relatively. Uh, small investments in companies like uh, uh, carbon engineering and, and climate works. And while I think that would actually surprise folks that they're, they're doing that, and I appreciate those companies' participation, the amounts are are absolutely minuscule compared to their profits, right? They're spending more fighting carbon bills in Washington D- in Washington State and defeating them um, than on these investments. It's It's frustrating. It's almost more frustrating than if they did nothing at all. So we, we are seeing all these corporations that are that are going renewable that are doing things like uh, you know the news the other day apple's protecting a 27,000 acre mangrove forest um, yeah but how do we encourage uh, quote unquote encourage these i mean every company but i guess then we can dial in on fossil fuel fu- yeah. fossil fuel companies to do 10x 100x 1000x uh, to what they're doing because of this again how integral a, a specific technology like this is yeah, the first thing is um, customer selection. We're now seeing the, 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 uh, maybe these companies, um, the, the the ones that aren't acting, um, aren't acting because the customers aren't selecting against their product because it's harming the world. Um, and this doesn't have to come from legislation. When there's a product that is a negative societal externality that hurts people, um, we, this is finally a generation that is actually selecting against those companies. That's the first thing. The second thing, and I, I give Walmart actually some credit as an example of this. You guys probably heard of a, a program that Walmart did. They changed their supply chain, and there were some great uh, Helena members and other people that we worked with that worked on this project. They changed their supply chain slightly in a way that actually made them more money but was more efficient. Mm -hmm. And just to show you the scale of what this did, the amount of CO2 that Walmart did not put into the air that year that they would have if they had not made this change was more than the entire country of Germany put into the air that year. Mm -hmm. So. We have to work. We have to work with these companies because they are large. I think there's structural issues we have to talk about, but we do have to work with these companies that um, that um, you know they 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 have a legal precedent to address the issues of their shareholders. And if we can become the shareholders, we can buy into the companies as customers and as investors, and 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 demand that they make a change. But also, if we can show them ways that actually are better for their bottom line, but also better for the world, um, that that's a basic first step that has massive massive changes beyond just investing in carbon capture technologies, other things. There are things in their business model um, that we can change. And and Walmart, I think, took a stand, but there's many other countries and the uh, companies in the Fortune 500 that are doing this. Yeah. More than Germany. That's mind blowing. Yeah, it, <clears throat> and it also just makes you realize how big some of these companies are. Yeah, Jesus. You know the footprints um, are just incredible. These are countries. I mean, if you think about what's happening with right, Facebook right. right now, Mark Zuckerberg is the CEO of 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 um, a company that influences the minds of over two billion people. Sure. Um, we're, we're living in a society in which corporations have a footprint that is larger than some societies. We're also living in a society in which there are individuals outside of government that have larger platforms than the prime ministers of some countries. You sure. saw this with Taylor Swift. If you guys remember, Taylor yeah. Swift uh, trying trying to take down a senator in her district didn't work in her state. It didn't work, but she, she made a huge, huge impl- uh, right. impact. Right. I, mean, I remember, impact. was it Vote.org the other next day? Yeah. It was like, holy shit. The number of voters <laughs> that registered yesterday was out so, of control. Because so part of this is realizing that so part of this is realizing that power itself is changing, and we need to use um, the the the, modali- the new modalities to use the two two academic word of power 
to affect change in these fields. And, and this is why I don't think it's BS to say that customer selection is, is, is truly essential in our time. You see these companies and these CEOs going down because of bad behavior. You know, the Me Too movement, there's, 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 mm-hmm. there's going to be, I hope, a Me Too movement, but for climate in which, in which companies that are, 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 are truly hurting the world, um, that could make a change. Maybe they would make slightly less money or maybe they would even make the same or more money by making the change should. And, and I, I believe hopefully and optimistically will be pressured to do that because of the power of public sentiment. Hey guys, it's Quinn. If you're listening to this, you obviously like podcasts and you probably like music too. On Spotify, you can listen to all of that in one place for free. You don't even need a premium account. On Spotify, you can follow your favorite podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can download episodes to listen to offline wherever you might be. And you can easily share what you're listening to with your friends via Spotify's integrations with social platforms like Instagram. Spotify has a huge catalog of podcasts on every topic, including the one you're listening to right now. You can just search for Important Not Important on the Spotify app or browse podcasts in the Your Library tab. Very convenient. And of course, you can follow us so you never miss an episode of Important Not Important. Uh, Spotify is the world's leading music streaming service, and now it can be your go-to for podcasts, too. Yeah, I'm a big believer in it. I mean, there's this, there's this big, and, and you can check my Twitter feed anytime you'd like. It's a super fun place to be. It's not depressing <laughs> yeah. at all. Uh, yeah, where, super positive. Where really action-minded uh, climate and energy and just world-saving folks have an interesting disagreement, and, and I just fall in the middle of it, uh, which is trying to be in the most pragmatic place, which is, for instance, again, when it comes to climate, it, does personal action matter or does it have to be on the institutional government utility side that we're going to really make a difference? Because that is, of course, objectively, like the most prominent source of, for instance, emissions. But to me, uh, on a personal level, and again, this is just me, but I'm trying to be mm. pragmatic and I'm always thinking about how do we inspire as much action as possible, which is yep. if if Brian takes the time to fucking look at his roof and go, all right, I'll, put, I'll fucking put solar on my roof. And he calls the guy and he comes and gets a couple estimates because he's trying to do the right thing and he has to take time off of work. They come and finally put the fucking solar on his roof and somebody accidentally punches a hole and they got to come back the next week and then he's got the solar and it's finally working and he's seeing how low his electrical bill is and all that shit that that is going to make him a little more personally invested yeah. in, in holding these companies to task because it just makes you go like, I did my fucking part, man. And I realize like, it's not a big part, but it, it just gives you a little bit more of a leg to stand on. And, and, and that's where I, I really agree on the customer selection front. Well, f- well, first of all, you go, Brian, but second of all, I think, <laughs> you know, when you talk about, does there need to be a choice? I, I say, Por que no los dos? You can right. do both. You can yeah. you can have you can have top down change and you can have bottom up change. Um, just so I you know just in the theme of action steps, here's an actual example of that. And and just to you know to plug shamelessly Climeworks, if you go to Climeworks.shop, the, the website, individuals can buy carbon that Climeworks is sucking out of the air per month. <laughs> this is this is an actual way in which you can do that. It's it's truly remarkable that they've been able to pull this off, and that uh, other companies are doing the exact same thing. So there are finally becoming ways in which the individual can do the Brian action of putting putting solar on your roof, yes, but also buying carbon that's been put out of the air. At the same time, that trickle up effect 
will affect change on the top down front with companies seeing, okay, our customers, again, our individuals that we care about, our constituency cares about this. We're going to have to pass legislation. We're going to have to change our board seats. We're going to have to do top down um, change across the Fortune 500 level. Both of these things can happen and both of these these things are starting to happen. And if you look at the kind of great changes that have occurred um, throughout history, it has been uh, in most cases a trickle up and a trickle down effect at the same time. There are exceptions, but um, I I, I don't think this is going to be one of them. Yeah, and and it just, again, not in every example by any stretch, but but those two things eventually do come together very often. Again, like you said, we've mm-hmm. seen in the Me Too stuff, um, yeah. which is, let's use a local chain, local branch of a chain supermarket as an example. Let's say you live in a town where they uh, they default the plastic bags, or they charge it for paper bags, or they don't have bags you can buy. And, and you're one of those people who, who's aware that that is not the situation everywhere anymore. And so it drives you crazy. And you write an op-ed to your local paper. I recognize that local news does not exist anymore. And that's a disaster. The point (laughs) is you post on a blog or or people follow you on your Facebook, right? Because it's so local or your next door. And that starts to uh, take off. Eventually someone at this supermarket is going to notice and someone in corporate is going to notice that they're having this example, uh, this issue in, in bumfuck wherever uh, that a stink is being raised. And and you can move the needle. Yes, yes. The institutionalized stuff. It's something like, Brian, what is it? It's it's like 71 companies are responsible or a hundred companies are responsible for, yeah. for whatever, 71% of emissions, hundred yep. percent. Like uh, it's a, it's a nightmare. I mean, PG and E with, with the, with the transformers and the wires, for the wildfires, I mean, they should just go down, but um, that also comes from the bottom up and, and we, you, you have to participate because it will give you like a standout. It will incentivize you to get other people involved and to drive that. And this is one of the first yeah. times in history where that's even possible. Uh, right. That's important to note where you, you see these companies respond to social media now because it becomes a PR issue. You have some yeah. random guy in, in Topeka, Kansas, has a problem with a company, tweets it out, and it becomes a massive global problem for the company and they make a change. Sure. There's good and bad about this. By the way, there's a lot of bad stuff that occurs yep. when when any single person can have a voice on Twitter. And, and that's why I stay off of Twitter. But um, there's also good. And, you know, the best example of this I, I, I heard, just, just just to really brighten your morning, there are these cases in, in, in Syria where a terrorist will know that there is a person um, hiding away in a you know, because of Twitter in a house and then they go and kill the guy. But then the guy actually uses Twitter to get out of the problem because he elicits the support of, of, of other forces to fight the terrorists. So there are these kind of neutralizing uh, issues Damn. where, and this, right. there's these incredible discussions that happened uh, with, with, um, with, with, with Twitter leadership about, you know, what do we incentivize? Which speech do we not? But what is, what is undoubtedly true is that individuals can make a change through social media. It is something that is happening. It's not floofy. It's not, it's, 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 it's not a throwaway tactic. This is a core part of the strategy to affect change in, in, in the climate space. Sure. And I mean, it's the same thing when it comes to voter registration, right? What is the, yeah. what is the, that, that phrase, the, uh, it feels repeated ad nauseum, but it is st- just, it is technically true, which is like, bring your most popular friend to vote or to register to yeah. vote. Um, okay. because these things do prove out in the long run. Yeah. Um, so Henry, let's talk about Helena some more. Um, you, you dropped out of college to, to form this. Um, there are, you know, there are so many young people that are opting out of or, or uh, rebelling against the the standard, you know, doctrine for a reliable future, or or yelling at their baby boober uh, parents, you know, that the future is now unavailable to them because uh, they blew it so badly. <laughs> um, the the Helena Group, as as you described, focuses on bringing together, uh, you know, talented folks uh, across a a multidisciplinary 
uh, quilt of action-oriented questions and projects, and that is so fucking awesome. I, we love that. Um, in the case of Climeworks, for example, h- how is Helena's uh, uh, network of, of smart folks involved in this specific project? It's a perfect example because if you think about a company like Climeworks, when we first started working with them, it actually started because we did a prize. We didn't know which company to work with, period. We just knew that we wanted to work in the field of negative emissions. Mm-hmm. So what we did is we asked the members, we said, hey guys, we're going to do this prize. We're going to ask you a couple favors. When we find somebody or if we find somebody, we were confident, so we said when, that can has a plan nice. to actively suck carbon out of the air and sell it, we want you to put your resources forward to support that company. So they actually did this before we found the company. So I give credit to some of the members that represented companies like BCG, which put millions of dollars of pro bono consulting. So they actually helped write, write a business plan. Uh, rapid prototyping, so actually physically developing the technology, uh, trying to route funding, geopolitically talking to heads of state, mayors. You know, I'm on the plane all the time. Uh, some of the Helena members are actually the elected officials that were trying to sell carbon capture plants too. So <laughs> wow. it was throwing the book at every angle. It was basically asking, we do this every time we do a project, what assets do you need to have in order to solve the problem that you're trying to solve that you don't currently have. And that changes, right? So Climax at the time needed to raise more capital. Now they're actually, you know, obviously we, we Climax should always use more capital and, and we invite that, but there are, there are different dynamics. So we have actually worked on as many different aspects of the business as humanly possible and it changes. Right now, um, you know, like I said before, we're, we're, we're mostly focused on just selling these plants. Um, one crazy thing, Europe, as you, you can probably see if you, if you go online, has embraced this technology while the U.S. really hasn't, to, to say it in a sad way. So I'm trying to actually yeah. br- bring this technology to cities and c- cities in the United States, especially cities that have their own versions of, for example, Los Angeles has the Los Angeles Green New Deal. Um, these are the cities that should be purchasing this technology um, for a variety of reasons. So I, I'm I'm at the t- right now. I think the the shameless salesman for bringing these plants here, not because we we don't own any any stock in in the company. We're not uh, profit we're we're not profiting in any way so far. I mean, you know, maybe we will in the future, but not now on this technology. I just think this is the right thing to do. So I'm, I'm, I'm the evangelist now. In the future, maybe we'll do something different. Maybe we'll put together an investment fund and invest in more of these technologies. We don't know. It's, 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 it's a case-by-case basis, and that's dictated by what the members can do. We don't want to just say that we're going to do something because it sounds cool. We want to identify which assets the members represent, which multi-billion dollar fund or company the members can tap into to actually solve this problem, which, uh, which, which legislative action, which bill can we actually write and pass. So we look at it from that horizontal lens of what the members can do first, and then we apply those assets. Yeah, Boom. I mean, it, it's almost like an advocate stance, right? Which is just like, look, I'm not getting anything out of this. Maybe I will in the future, and that's great, or we will. But in the meantime, yeah. we, we've got to get this out there. And everybody exactly. It it's 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 like the it's you know it's our it's our version of of the Avengers. You know, I find people that would have never otherwise met, but that that themselves are the best in the world or close to it at what they do, and put them together and unite them around a certain project. And by the way, a lot of the members that have worked on this carbon capture project aren't in the carbon capture or the climate space. These are some of the top business people on the planet. These are some of the top elected officials. These are Nobel Peace Prize winners in denuclearization. But they have brains that can attach to a problem like this, and it's actually in some. Sometimes the kind of intellectual diversity, if you will, of people that aren't in a specific field when they when they wrap their mind around something they don't do um, or they, they weren't trained in actually have insights that exceed that of the people that are kind of stuck in, in the space, in the silo. Sure. And I think that's one of the advantages we have is that I don't I don't just have in Helena a bunch of people that have spent 30, 40 years in the climate space. A lot of those folks, while incredible and they're, they're the core of the effort, um, are, are kind of in they're kind of in the silo. They're in the in the echo chamber and they're not they're not positive of which solutions will resonate with people that don't have the same mindset that they do. 
Speaking of uh, not having skill uh, tools that you need, what what are the big? What are you guys running into? What uh, obstacles? Why? What 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 uh, obstacles are you running into? What what do you need that you that you don't have? And you know, are these issues technical, or uh, is it fundraising, or networking, or political, or all? So I I, I, th- I think the most important thing that we're trying to do with the carbon capture project is to not rely on legislation for it to work, to get that mm-hmm. price down just by the private sector, because we don't want to run this project saying, you know, just lobbying the government. With that said, yes, a huge, huge accelerant would be passing legislation. And you guys talk sure. about action steps. I'll give you one. Sure. And I'll give you a Republican action step. Just just, <laughs> just to add some flavor to this. You guys have probably heard of the carbon dividend proposal. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. This is this is a brainchild of, of someone really, really cool guy. His name is Ted Halstead. He's gotten, I think, almost every living Republican secretary of state to sign on to this plan. It's actually similar to, um, to, to name a Democrat, what Andrew Yang is proposing with um, the freedom dividend. Mm-hmm. It's a carbon dividend proposal. And what you do is you tax the excess negative externalities of companies, in this case, it's carbon, and then put that into a giant pile of, of, of capital, a pile of fund, and then bring that back to the people of the United States. Pay, right. pay individuals of the United States for the excess carbon that is going into the air from these companies. Something like that would, would, would provide a hell of a stimulus to carbon capture. It really, really would. But it would also do other stuff that people aren't thinking deeply about. Think about cement. Cement is a $450 billion industry. You talked about the, um, the runway of San Francisco airport sinking uh, soon. Interestingly, and I swear I didn't, I didn't prepare this. This is an interesting synchronicity <laughs> that there is carbon negative cement that is actually paving the San Francisco runway. There's an incredible company that has a technology, a cement technology that one of the inputs is carbon that can be removed from the atmosphere. And as a test case, the runway of the San Francisco airport is actually paved with their, with their, with their cement. So there are these massive industries. There's a great book by Paul Hawken called Drawdown that actually ranks them. Oh, yeah. AC, and, oh, AC and refrigeration is a huge industry. Yep. So this carbon dividend proposal and these, these legislative tools can affect change far outside of just carbon capture. It can affect change in these gargantuan industries like cement, refrigeration, AC, transportation that would highly benefit from doing it. Think about a company like Tesla. If you guys remember during the debate, Mitt Romney, I think it was, I forgot which year it was, uh, you know, was kind of crapping all over Tesla and saying, you know, why is the government putting subsidy capital during a recession into this business? They're never going to pay it back. They paid it back with a premium. Thank you Mm -hmm. very much. And it was that subsidy that got that got the company, I I, believe um, it was a significant part. That can happen with others with other fields. So again, while we're not, while we're prepared to do this without government help, I do think that government help can greatly accelerate the function. Yeah, I, I, I imagine though you're being having to be realistic, which is uh, you can lobby all you want, but for the next two years, you're not going to get that government help. Eh. You know what's so interesting about this, and 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 maybe I'm being too optimistic, but at the same time, uh, you know, in the spirit of impossible, not impossible, I don't think it's impossible to. Uh, to, to get Republican action on this issue, if you can create uh, jobs, blue collar jobs in middle America and flyover states in these spaces like cement and, and AC and refrigeration, um, if you can provide these incentives for for profit businesses that are the constituents of some of the of, of some of the folks that are being lobbied on this issue, I think you can. So that's why when I when I wanted to give you this action step, it was a Republican action step. Sure. So. Is it the case that the Democratic Party happens to be uh, more activist and progressive when it comes to incentives for climate work? Yes. But is it also the case that the Republican Party, as far as infrastructure and some of the core emissions, emit uh, 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 of technologies, is a, is, is a huge backer of it? Also, yes. And yep. if we can provide those companies with a way to make more money or the same in a way that is less emittive, they're going to jump at it. These these aren't, and maybe some people would agree, These most of these folks are not core bad people at their core, but they are incentivized by a type of constituency that provi- that 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 um, 
that that has that has goals that might differ from others. And 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 I think we 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 need to rationalize that and understand that if you're if you're a coal miner in West Virginia, and your family has made X amount of money the last couple of generations, and your job goes away, you're not going to sit with a 50 page briefing document on the Green New Deal and think about you know the intricacies of 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 what the bill could do over the next 10 20 years. You're thinking about feeding right. your family. Yep. And what I'm trying to think about is what solutions can also work for those folks. Yeah, no, and and it's totally true. And this is where again we come to whatever gets it done, whoever gets it done, uh, to to reach the same goal yeah. because you do have to. And this is why you know already again from both the Republican side and the, and the and some of the Democrats, some of the more centered Democrats, you know, they already yell at the Green New Deal and say, "Well, why does there have to be jobs in it, or why does there have to be environmental <laughs> justice?" And you're like, "It feels like you're not paying attention." Yeah, because that shit matters. Yeah, it's like uh, give me a fucking break, why? man. It's That's why. Uh, just stop. Just stop. So, <laughs> uh, getting towards action here, carbon capture again. Like you said, three years ago was like a pipe dream for for even people who are involved in it, and now it's making a change. But it does feel not fantastical, but I could see how for for a majority of our listeners, it feels like on an action front, how that's something that's uh, difficult to participate in, right? Besides, yeah. like you said, Climeworks as a way you can you can buy the carbon they're offsetting. But we do have uh, a lot of our listeners are senators and congresspeople and Fortune yeah. those, those Fortune five hundred people uh, who have gone clean. And you know, again, like you talking about drawdown, we had Catherine Wilkinson on a couple weeks ago from from Drawdown, and oh, you know, cool, we've, cool, cool. we've got these state senators and legislators and scientists and whatever. What's the best way for those people, the people with with power, either elected or business-wise, that are on some sort of front line, that have the ability to move the needle, to get involved, to, to yep. concretely further the aims of carbon capture, specifically? Sure. Yes. Yeah, so specifically, first, pass the, pass the carbon dividend proposal or other bipartisan legislation that obviously, you know, and, and due diligence on it, think through it deeply. But we have, and, and th- these are common sense solutions. The second thing is if you're involved in these large corporations like Walmart, find the common sense solutions that could make you the same or more amount of money by reducing massive amounts of CO2 from the air. Do those two things at the very beginning. Those are no brainers. They hit your constituency. They're in your incentive alignment. Obvious. Second thing, though, when you think about um, uh, carbon capture split into two categories, and you guys uh, really explain this well at the beginning of the podcast, there's something called in-flu carbon capture, which companies like Occidental Petroleum, like you mentioned, Shell are doing, which is basically putting a carbon capture device right next to a coal plant or, 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 or an emitting plant and capturing mm-hmm. it right after it comes out. And then separately, there's the stuff that we're working on, which is called um, ambient air carbon capture or direct air carbon capture. There's two different ways to do this. So in-flu carbon capture is an investment that, that these large corporations, you talk about these leaders that listen to the podcast or senators that are involved in these in or being lobbied by these companies, these are the common sense solutions that the companies can take on to reduce their emissions. There's an argument that that kind of perpetuates the problem. I'm here for that argument too, but but, but that's one of them. Then we get into what we're working on, which is direct air carbon capture. And what I would say to them is support government investment funds that can make a bunch of money over the long term about this. Be proactive and not reactive. Think about the next 10, 20, 30 years. And I'll give you another one on top of this. Think about the geopolitical threat of, of climate change. One of our members is General McChrystal, and he's, you know, ran the army during Iran and Afghanistan. And you've asked him, what is the biggest uh, foreign policy threat to the United States? He would say mm-hmm. one of them is carbon, is, is, is climate change. Sure. So think of this in, a, in, think about climate refugees. Think about problems outside of the United States. 
think about how the United States has become the top superpower in the world for um, for now, you know, 150 years because inside of the United States are all of the natural resources that we use to become that power. Think about the fact that that is going to go away with climate change unless we act on it. And um, say what you want about Joe Biden, but one of the things that he that he is optimistic about is that we can be the country that develops the technology to beat climate change, or China can do that. And I can tell you, China is one of the, high, the, 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 the biggest spenders in, in technologies like carbon capture and research and development, not because they, they just want to save the world, maybe that's part to. of it, but because they have to. They're reliant on this. And this is a, China has a 10,000 year plan. They've been doing this shit for 10,000 years. They're geniuses. They think very deeply and strategically. We need to start thinking in a longer term way like they are, um, or else we're going to lose the, the geopolitical power. So notice that everything I just said is not the Democratic Party plank. It is not necessarily the progressive plank. I could go and talk about that, but there, there is alignment amongst Democrats. There is alignment amongst progressive, uh, progressives. What is dumbfounding to me is that this is not a, a partisan problem. <laughs> it's not a partisan problem. Um, it has become one because of, I think, really smart messaging. And and and, but it doesn't have to be. So I think part of this is just showing that people can come together. People can make money by solving climate change. We're going to create so many different markets from it. Yeah, I can go on and on. You guys can make me shut up about this. But this is this is <laughs> no, there's I mean, so many action steps here. So true. No, but that that was the point of of today's discussion was like, yeah. help me help you make money. You know, and yes. also uh, we're yes. going to survive this, and things will stop burning, and 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 seas will slow their rising. You know, it's like everybody wins. Everybody By the way, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you one more thing that jumped into my head, which I actually think is, a, is something true that not a lot of people talk about. In the, we talk about these, these giant companies that make up such a large share of carbon emissions. Why are they doing that, though? And you ask them why this is the case. Some of them give an honest answer, which I think is worth talking about and kind of putting into the, putting into the universe here, which is quarterly, quarterly earnings. These CEOs get fired and hired based upon how much money they're making every quarter. They're not getting fired and hired based, based upon their five or 10 year plan. Right. And climate change is an example of a solution that can make a company a ton more money in the longer and medium term. And it just so happens it could affect their bottom line on a quarterly uh, earning report. So thinking about the structure of how companies think about making money, they don't want to have public companies often don't really don't really want to look at their stock price every, uh, every quarter and, and try to modulate that. I know this is kind of a wonky thing to say and very specific, but this no. is another problem that we have here um, is that they're incentivized wrong. Same with uh, uh, elections. Right. If you're getting if, if, if you are if, if your constituency is going to reelect you or not reelect you in two years or four years or six years and you have a perfect solution that is going to take 10 years and you're going to be a villain for nine years. And then the second that the 10th year hits, you're going to solve all the world's problems. You're not going to do that. You're not going to be incentivized to do it because you're not going to get reelected. So there are these incentive structures on a structural de democratic and capitalistic level that we need to think about changing. And I think there is some rhetoric from both parties about doing this. And I support it. Yep. That's a really good point. That's awesome. It's not wonky. So we like to, you know, sort of start wrapping it up with the same thing, which is, you know, uh, what can our uh, listeners, you know, just just everyday folks, not you know people that are uh, running anything, Brian? Uh, what, what it's me. It's, I'm talking about me. What can I, uh, you know, what action steps, specific action steps, can can uh, people like me take uh, with their voice, their vote, and their their dollar? So let's get into that real quick. So uh, w with their with their voice, you know, we we like to try to shine a light on where we can go as as a people. So what are the big, you know? actionable, specific questions that we should be asking uh, of our representatives? Of our representatives, let's start at a local level before we even yeah, get to please. Congress. Individual states, individual cities have giant budgets, right? They can buy carbon capture plants. They can pass legislation that makes a huge, huge difference. We're both living in Los Angeles. 
California is the sixth largest economy in the world. So this excuse that the entire country needs to get together on a federal level to solve this problem, I don't believe. And you think about some people like Mayor Bloomberg who have put together these coalitions of mayors. So on an individual level, citizens that are listening to this podcast can can lobby um, and 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 contact their local representative, their state senator. Yeah, we don't need the government federally to solve all our problems. We can do this at a state and local level. By the way, a lot of change. Think about um, gay marriage, right? This happened because of the accumulation of individual states that got to the federal government, that got to Supreme Courts. Exactly. We can do this with climate change. So, yes, uh, lobby your lobby your Congress people, your senator, your president, um, your, your your large institutions, but also think at a local level at the same time. I think that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, I mentioned climbworks.shop, but also uh, websites that, that allow you to personally buy carbon to offset your travels. Um, this is an individual step oh, that people yeah. would make. The, the, the third thing is a lot of entrepreneurs are listening to this. Start companies that can make you extremely wealthy by saving the world, especially by removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, making products from it. This is a space that during the next 10, 20 years will make money. Go into the space. Don't create another app. Don't connect people to send photos to one another. I love oh, those stop. companies. There are enough. There are yeah, enough of those companies. There aren't enough people taking on these hard, hard challenges. They're starting to be. Start a company. If you're an entrepreneur, if you've got an ego and you want to exercise it, go do that. So so, 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 so that's basic. you know. And then the final thing is use social media, lobby, um, use your voice and your power to lobby individual corporations about why they're not doing what they're doing. We've seen so many examples of this working. You know, So I, I, I think that those are, the, those are the basic things that the individual can do. There's so many things past that, that, that those that are in power have the ability to do that are so monumentally top down as far as change as well. Love it. And what about our vote when it's voting time? What can we do? Vote people that have actual plans to pass legislation that has long-term implications. Have the balls to do that. You know, think about your interests, but also think about people that are thinking in a 10, 20, 30 year, 40 year time span. 10, I know that might be or 10,000 years. I mean, that, 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 that's some super science stuff right there. But, you know, the people that are thinking in longer terms than their, than their term limit, guess what? Those are unselfish people that are trying to represent you in actuality. They're not just trying to get right. their votes to stay in power. Reward that. Incentivize people that are doing things that they won't get credit for. I think it's one of the best quotes I've ever heard is sometimes the best way to get it done is not to get credit. Give people credit who have that philosophy. <laughs> um, sure. That is an yeah. incredible thing to do with your vote. I mean, we don't do that enough. You know, understand that that uh, that the other thing, understand that silos exist and try to break out of those silos. Try to understand the issues that are afflicting folks in in, in flyover states that um, if, if, if we're part of the quote unquote coastal elite that we don't actually represent. Understand that there are marginalized communities that haven't contributed to climate change, but are going to be screwed by climate change because of us, because of the people that are putting so much CO2 into the atmosphere. Sure. If you're not going to do it for yourself, do it for them. Uh, do it for the people that haven't contributed to this problem. I love it. And and what about our dough? What can we do with our with our money to help? Um, if you're super, super wealthy, invest uh-huh. in these companies. Um, <laughs> become stockholders in these businesses that are fighting the norm. Become stockholders in these cement companies that are making cement up to 90% less emitted of CO2 while being the same price. If you're an individual, like I said, buy carbon dividends. I was, uh, buy, buy carbon offsets. These are very cheap. If you're going to take a flight across the country, you can offset that flight individually. The second thing is make political contributions to the to the Congress people and the senators and the local representatives that are thinking in the long term. Use Use the power of the purse. You know, uh, we, we have a system that that unfortunately rewards campaign contributions, and I wish that weren't the case. And I think there should be change. But while we're within that system, use your, you, you know, use the individual donation to candidates that matter. Awesome. I awesome. love it. All right. So we I mean, first of all, thank you so much again, man, for being here. Henry, this has been so awesome. Um, we really appreciate it. And uh, uh, we'll we'll 
Uh, no, I was going to say, I hope I made the, the, the one white guy appearance worth it. <laughs> I, 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 I hope I stood up for, for, for us white guys. You're the here. last it's ever been... white guy, so you yeah, know, yeah, so better great. go over well. Well, you know, if if uh, if you have any recommendations, maybe we could talk later about uh, uh, some people that um, we should get in touch with uh, to maybe get on the show. You know, other other world changers like uh, like you and and Helena who want to uh, take action on you know climate or medicine or tech or space. <laughs> no way, man! I no, mean, that's no how regrets. We, no regrets. We, we get a lot of incoming calls. We we make a lot of outgoing calls, but uh, some of our go best to our are site. Recommend- it's, it's, it's recommendations. Helena dot org. Helena dot org slash members. Just see wherever you like. Give me a shout. I'm sure they would love to appear. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. Hell yeah. Um, all right. And now it's lightning round time. It's not a lightning round. One day we'll fix that. Last couple questions and we'll get you out of here. Hey, uh, Henry, when was, uh, and I realized you were born like seven years ago. When was the first <laughs> time in your life when you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? Huh. It was actually recently. I got a call from a, a senator uh, that the bill that we had written passed. And up until that point, it was this crazy slog of sitting in a room with my staff who works their asses off. They're incredible to write this legislation, go through all, all of the minutiae to get it through. And the idea of it passing that the, you know, that the, that, that it was actually enacted into law and that it'll change people's lives was this shock that kind of went over me. And it was this bliss and it made me addicted to that feeling of creating change and actually addressing people's lives. So that was about a year and a half ago. I think that was the first thing. I think the second thing um, was reading books. You know, I, I I was one of those people that got into books later in my life. I wish I was that eight year old kid that was reading the Iliad and you know, uh, you know Homer and all and, and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but once I discovered the power of actually reading books, sitting down alone in your room with a physical book, not a Kindle, for a, for an hour and reading it, that you can implant knowledge in your mind and then use it. You don't have to rely on other people to do that. It, it is so empowering. It is something that everybody can do. Um, and I, I know that's a basic thing, but read, read your books. <laughs> and I say this as a college dropout who BSed his way through a lot of education of, of not doing the reading before. And I, if I could go back in time, the one thing that I would change is when I was eight, nine, 10 years old or younger, that I immersed myself in books earlier. I, I, I try to find time to be alone today to just sit and read. It is the biggest tool that has made Helena have any success, but also that's given me happiness in my life. So if I can be an evangelist for one thing, it's just read your books. I love, love it, it, man. Who is someone in your life that has positively impacted your work in the past six months? Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's Beatrice Finn. Um, she's a Helena member. She's a Nobel Peace Prize winner in denuclearization. And uh, her story, just the more time I've spent with her, is crazy because if you think about this, she was um, a Swedish lawyer. She's 35 years old. She worked for five or six years on this issue and then won a Nobel Peace Prize in one of the most technically challenging and fraught fields, which is preventing the use of nuclear weapons. And I was just thinking, look, if she can do this, um, we can address these problems. And she talked about the messaging side of how she was able to kind of create a social cost for the use of, of nuclear weapons. And whenever I think about decisions that we're making at Helena, I often think about her playbook, about how she was able to do this. Whenever I start complaining, we don't have enough money, we don't have enough staff, I think about the fact that she had far less resources than Helena does right now. And she won a Nobel Peace Prize addressing one of the most challenging problems in the world. So if we could be like Beatrice Finn, uh, we can solve a lot of problems. Yeah, that's motivational and inspirational as hell. There you go, Brian. Brian's going to make a bracelet. <laughs> Henry, what do you do when you feel uh, overwhelmed? What's your Henry time? 
what's my Henry time? Uh, I wish it was skiing. I mean, I used to be a skier. I used to ski almost 300 days a year. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't get to ski enough. I went skydiving recently. I loved it. It was like experiencing a new color. Do it. Um, I read a ton. Like I said, I try to run. I used to hate running. I was this you know, skinny fat kid. It, it is the worst, but you, I'm starting to understand this running high. Brian I texted me last thing, week and said, where do I buy a running shoe? So I think he gets it. <laughs> You know, you know what I also do, and shout out to Tristan Harris, who's a Helena member, who's I think led this incredible movement to uh, show the ills of social media. Is I turn my freaking phone off, on yeah. purpose. I put I and by the way, go to bed with your phone off outside of your room. Wake up without looking at your phone. It will change your life. So I, I do that. Um, I go into out, I go into the outdoors and I talk to people. I try to do things that my generation is not as good at. Um, <laughs> right. And uh, and it, it really changes your life. It's very basic. There was this quote, and I don't want to waste your guys' time, but somebody no. said something to me that was very important, which is there's kind of two buckets. Bucket number one is the story that you kind of want to tell to the outside world about who you are and your brand. And that's important, but it's fabricated. And then the second bucket is what actually makes you happy. And sometimes the things that actually make you happy are unimpressive to say on a podcast or in front of people that are listening because it doesn't make you sound cool, but those are just right. as important. And for me, that's being alone, reading books, having good conversations with people, putting my phone outside my room, experiencing meditation, these basic things that don't sound super impressive, but do those things. Th those things matter just because they don't sound cool necessarily. I think they're cool, but just because they don't necessarily sound extremely interesting, uh, do those. Well, if yeah, we made totally them, if agree. we, if, if more people actually profess to doing them, maybe we could make them cool. Then I'll this, be the first, I'll be the, I'll be the white guy that says it. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm with <laughs> you, man. I'm an introvert who goes to bed at nine and reads fiction to go to sleep so I can stop thinking about climate change. So I get it. This is a great one, especially since you're an avid book reader. If you could, Henry, Amazon Prime, one book to Donald Trump, what would that book be? Wow. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you guys a douchey answer. I'm so sorry. There's a book called On Bullshit, and it's written by the um, top professor at Princeton, Professor Emeritus of Philosophy. It's very short. Uh, anybody can get through it. Um, and it describes the, the it's, it's hilarious philosophical deep dive onto bullshit, onto lying, onto fabrication. And I'm not trying to make any points here. I'm just saying that understanding the roots of how bullshit has happened and why it is not important for us, um, I think I, 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 I think is great. The, the, the second thing, and I, I'm going to give two books, I'm so sorry, is the biography um, of, of, of George Washington. He, 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 you know, our president talks about being the greatest president of all time. Reading the biography of the first president, of all of his faults, this was somebody that went against every single, you know, this is someone who would have been killed for what he did. He led an army against the most powerful country in the world. And how did he do it? With poise and humility and without talking. He did it. He did it in silence. That was George Washington's main quality is he showed and he didn't tell. When they gave him the presidency, this is an interesting story, uh, they wanted to make him, you know, Congress wanted to make him king of the United States. And he said, no, I want to be called the president of the United States. And at the time, the word president meant note taker. It meant you're the guy at the desk that takes notes during a meeting. George Washington was such a great guy, a powerful person that uh, he made the word president what it is today. So when we think about people trying to become the best presidents of the United States, understand where that word came from. It came from humility. It came from action. And it came from not talking. And I think those are the qualities that we need to have uh, as a country today. I dig it. I would love it if our president would not talk. That'd be fantastic. I would you know, love it if you read the 12 <laughs> books I gave you. Like Henry said, <laughs> reading is great. There's, there's good that you can Where did do. that? There's... What the hell, Quinn? That came out of nowhere. <laughs> 
And I'll, I'll, I'll plug this. You guys should go. I have, a, I, have a, I have a hilarious Instagram. It's called The Elklist, E-L-K-L-I-S-T. And I post every book that anybody recommends me that I actually go and read. So if you guys suggest oh, a book, nice. I have to read it and post it on there. And it's- We should have the Quinn list. Quinn, all of all of Quinn's books that he's recommended I read that I have. We'll be Instabuddies. That'll be great. Um, speaking of social media, where else can uh, can our listeners follow you everywhere? Keep up to date. Yeah, so my Twitter's at Henry Elkis. I need to tweet more. Um, I think Twitter can be a toxic place. Our website is Helena.org. We have the Twitter Helena group. And follow the Elklist. Follow, I, I don't have a public social media yet. I probably will in the future. Um, but the only thing that's public about me on Instagram is, is this reading list. And I actually think it's awesome. a great way to discover things that I'm doing because I spend a lot of time reading and it's a good window into my mind, but it's also a way for, uh, if, if any of the listeners here have any good book recommendations, I will actually read them and I'll, and I'll post it on there. It's, it's an important part of my life. I'm staring at my bookshelf right now. Oh um, my, yeah, you're about to get so fucking many from Quinn. <laughs> um, uh, awesome. Well, listen, man, uh, we can't thank you enough for your time today and all that you're doing. It is inspiring, even for a white gentleman. <laughs> uh, it, it's been great, man. It, it's really been a lot of fun. Uh, hopefully, we can connect again in the future when we see what you guys tackle next. And thank you guys for doing this. This is this is a wonderful uh, use of your time to do a podcast like this that actually digs deep, not into the problems, but also into the solutions. I'm glad that I get to talk about the seemingly wonky stuff like carbon dividend proposals and subsidies and cement. These are actually the things that will solve the world's problems and they're, they're sexy. They're cool. And it's great that you guys are giving me a platform to talk about them because usually when I do press, it's, it's less about that. And, and, and I, I am thankful for that. For sure, man. Absolutely. Hey, we need it. We will, uh, we will do it again soon. Um, all right, Hell Henry, yeah. we will talk to you soon, man. Thanks so much, brother. Right. Have a good Thanks one. Thanks so much. Thanks to our incredible guest today, and thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at importantnotimp. Just so weird. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Important Not Important, Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us, you know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcast. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. <laughs> and you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jamming music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. 